It is Tuesday, July 19th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smolin. Jared, we're getting close to it. We've got rookies starting to report for NFL teams right now. The meat of fantasy draft season is drawing closer. You know, you can argue, if you're a big best ball player, you can argue that we've been in the meat for a while. But for fantasy drafting in general, we're really getting into it. The third annual Draft Sharks Invitational is just a couple weeks away. We're going to be announcing the 72-team field on Twitter over the next three days. And of course, Jared, we chose Fantrax to host this year's Invitational, you know, for a few different reasons. The feature-rich platform, though, is the primary thing. It can handle the quirks of our format, super flex scoring, tight end premium. Of course, it is six separate leagues that all feed into one overall leaderboard, and Fantrax can handle all of that. It's not just free for us to use for the Invitational. It's free for everybody to use. You can go sign up your league right now. They'll even import your existing league if you've been playing on a different site. So I know that can be a hurdle. Two leagues that have been playing elsewhere for a while and they just don't want to change things up. It's worth it. You can go for free to Fantrax. They will import your existing league. They'll help you with any settings that you might have issues getting set up. And as we mentioned last week, if you go to Fantrax.com slash DraftSharks and register that free league in July, you will automatically be entered for a chance to win a signed Travis Kelsey jersey. Jared, I'm sure that you remember Giants outfielder Jock Peterson getting slapped in the face before a baseball game this season because there was a fantasy football beef lingering from last year. And it was like a settings thing. It was an IR problem. He announced that he's switching over to fan tracks just to avoid those types of issues this year. That's the type of story where I'm like, are we all living in a simulation? Like this doesn't seem like it can, can be a real thing behind professional athletes that are, you know, getting paid millions and millions of dollars and they're getting over getting in fights over fantasy drafts, but it was awesome. Um, I'm pumped to be on fan tracks, pumped for the DS invitational coming up here. And we will be live streaming all those drafts on our YouTube page. So you can, you'll be, you'll be able to get a sneak peek at what the, uh, Fantrax draft room and draft board looks like if you if you check out those live streams. I think any of us who have played in, you know, home type of leagues can imagine things getting to that level. It's a bit surprising that like what was it, 5 months later, it's yeah. still to the point where some dude's smacking another dude, but it it makes for a great story whatever the case. Fantrax leagues free to jock, free to us, free to you. Get started now at fantrax.com/draftsharks. Jared, today we're going to hit the fifth division in our preview series. So we're more than halfway now. And we're going to start with the Chicago Bears of the NFC North. The coaching changes are big on this front. Yeah, Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor out as head coach and offensive coordinator. Um, you know, last year's Bears were pathetic. Uh, they weren't fun to watch. They weren't productive. They finished 27th in total points, 24th in yards, 26th in yards per play. So, you know, they, they were definitely due for some you know fresh blood in there in the coaching rank. So they hired Matt Eberflus as head coach. He, he has a defensive background. He, he spent the last four years as the Colts defensive coordinator. It's going to be Luke Getze running the offense. He was hired as offensive coordinator. Getze spent seven of the last eight years in green Bay. The one other year he was the offensive coordinator at Mississippi state in 2018. Uh, that offense wasn't great. It finished outside the top 60 in both yards and points. Uh, that Mississippi State team did average 39.5 rush attempts per game versus just 24.8 passes. So it was definitely a run-leaning offense. Never know how much stock 
to put into that, you know, when you're talking about college football. Um, outside of that, though, you know, again, Getsy's been with the Packers in, in various roles for, for seven years. He was and, and he was with the Packers under two co- uh, coaching staffs, under Mike McCarthy to start. He was the offensive quality control coach and the wide receivers coach for, for four years. And then the last three years under Matt LaFleur, uh, Getsy had – titles of quarterback coach and passing game coordinator, you know, LaFleur offensive minded head coach. So you kind of think the offenses were his, you know, I don't know how much say gets he had, but it's just, just worth noting those Packers offenses, 15th, 26th and 16th in pass rate. So they were kind of a, you know, balanced, even run leaning offense, despite having Aaron Rodgers. And then also it was a slow paced offense, um, 18th, 32nd and 31st in situation uh, neutral pace were those Packers. Yeah. I have absolutely no idea what to make of the new coaching staff in terms of its projected effect on the bears, because Matt Eberflus is a first time head coach. Luke gets, he's a first time OC, at least in the NFL, as you mentioned, I mean, it can't hurt that he worked under Matt LaFleur in a successful run over the past three years at Green Bay, worked under Nathaniel Hackett there, who was the OC and is now the head coach in Denver, worked under Aaron Rodgers, who, of course, is probably running things more than most quarterbacks for that offense, was the passing game coordinator for Green Bay the past two years. So I think overall, I'm just going to project no impact. I think Matt Nagy leaving can't hurt versus what Chicago turned into, but I'm certainly not boosting anything for the coaches. They do get a a QBs coach who come from the Vikings. Of course, we mentioned they imported guys from the Packers. So it's interesting that they have some Intel on other teams in the league. I know the Vikings have new coaches now, so maybe negligible there. Um, The most experienced offensive coach might be Tyke Tolbert, who is their wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator now. So, you know, again, the overall takeaway for me is, I don't know, we'll see what this coaching staff has, but at least it's something new. Yeah. And I think if the bears had it their way, they'd probably finish this season top 10 in run rate. You know, talk about having a second year quarterback who, who can contribute on the ground in Justin Fields and a pretty nice duo at running back again, I think they want to run the ball, but you know, the, the bears have a, a win total at DraftKings Sportsbook at 6.5 wins and there's heavy juice to the under. Um, so th- this is going to be, you know, one of the, you know, five, six worst teams in the NFL. I think that's going to push them towards the pass. I, I projected them at 57 and a half percent pass this season. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. They're tied with the lions and two others for the fifth lowest win total projection. And as you mentioned, other teams are even getting more juice on the over down there than the bears are. So I don't expect a very good team. I think they'll probably have to pass a little bit more than they want to. But the other factor in there is Justin Fields will turn some of those dropbacks into rushes. And when you look at the end of season pass run split, they're going to show up on the rushing side of that. So that'll even, you know, push the pass run further away from the pass. On to Justin Fields, who, I mean, is easily the most interesting bear, whether you like him or dislike him here. He had a a rough start to last year, either in real football terms or fantasy terms. Failed to eclipse 16 fantasy points in his first five starts. You know, the specifics there depend on your scoring format, but fell short of 11 fantasy points in four of those games. Then 20 plus in each of his final four full games, points per game over that span, would have ranked him sixth among quarterbacks for the season. I'm not saying that's a reasonable level to expect him to score at this year, but clearly shows what the upside is. And Fields put up those numbers um, despite just one game of more than one touchdown pass, just two games of two total touchdowns. So it's not like he had these outlandish games to, um, you know, really inflate that point total. So clear fantasy upside to him as a player, even if he continues to be mediocre in real life terms. 
Yeah, the, the passing stuff got better for Fields over you know the, the second half of his final five starts. But even then, just 211 passing yards per game and one touchdown. Um, he did post three of his best four PFF grades over those final five games. So he did improve as a passer. So the production wasn't big. The reason he scored so well in fantasy was because of the rushing. He averaged 7.6 carries and 56 rushing yards per game over his final five outings. That's a 17 game pace of 952 yards. Um, and you know, that's not, it's not fluky. I'm not saying he's going to hit 950 this year, but like, you know, he, he, could. Should be among the top five quarterbacks in rushing yards per game. Um, I mean, you know, the, the passing projection still looks weak because, you know, I think there are still questions to answer with Fields himself. So I, I believe in him long term, but just the, the fact the Bears did not help him this offseason, losing Allen Robinson and just adding a bunch of, you know, no namers to try to fill out this depth chart behind Darnell Mooney. So that that's kind of the issue. Like it, it's tough for me to see Fields hitting his ceiling this season with this supporting cast, but. Again, the, the rushing alone can, you know, make him a, a top 12 fantasy quarterback. Yeah, and that's going to make him much comfier best ball option than lineup setting because you're you're going to have to put up with bad uh, quarterbacking weeks that ultimately give you okay um, fantasy scoring. I'm going to look at the top 12 weeks and such later this week in an article on DraftSharks.com, uh, and I think that Justin Fields can score for us, but he's also going to have a lower floor than a lot of guys, and that's why he winds up uh, fairly low in our rankings. Like you look at his ADP and you see the upside for him in best ball drafts and you want to get excited, but then you project him and he just comes out lower than you would maybe expect. If you do like Justin Fields at the position, I want to put him higher, but this, the, the pass catching course looks so bad. Yeah. So we'll move on to the running backs. Now, David Montgomery, of course, is up first not a whole lot to get excited about here. Uh, Montgomery is, is really, he, you reach a point in the draft where you have to decide, whether he just makes sense or whether you really just don't want him this year because nobody's excited about him. Um, now let's look at last year and the stuff that was particularly bad versus previous his yards after contact per carry was down half a yard last year versus 2020 ranked 48th among 61 running backs with 70 plus carries in that category. According to pro football focus career low and missed tackles forced per carry career low and elusive rating. Those are both, those are both PFF stats as well. Um, eighth most touches per game though, 14th most half PPR points per game. So I, that's the book on Montgomery. He's yeah. not that good a player, but he's going to get the ball a good amount. And that's ultimately going to put up some level of fantasy scoring. Yeah. Well, to me, that's the question is if he's going to repeat the volume he got last year. So he averaged 17.3 carries and 3.9 targets per game. He was actually ninth among running backs and expected half PPR points per game. So he was getting you know top 10 level usage. Will that continue? Because Khalil Herbert, who was what a was he a fourth or, or fifth round rookie, right? Um, he beat David Montgomery pretty easily in both PFF rushing grade and elusive rating. Um, and now you have a new coaching staff coming in who you know has no ties to either of these guys. So that's a big question for me. I'm going to be looking out for in training camp and preseason is if we're going to get more of a split of this backfield this season than we did last. Year. I do think Montgomery is pretty safely locked in as the primary pass catching guy. He's been good there. Cleo Herbert, you know, didn't come into the NFL as much experience there and didn't do a whole lot of it last year. So I think that's 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 a decent floor for Montgomery. But I'll be curious to see if he, he loses more rushing work to Herbert this year. I you know, I'll be curious to see it as well, but I wouldn't bet on it heading in. The NFL just doesn't tend to sit down productive lead rushers. I don't know. I, I doubt that they look as much as we do into stuff like elusive rating and, and things like that. I think they look at a, a guy that's been leading the backfield, has been fine at it, and they keep giving him the ball. It was interesting to look at Montgomery with and without Justin Fields last year um, with 
no Justin Fields. He had 69.3% of Bears carries, 10.8% target share. With full Justin Fields last season, 57.4% carry share. Not surprising to see that dip some. And again, some of those runs that that pulls from are Justin Fields turning dropbacks into rushing plays. His target share was actually up 13.8% from 10.8% with Justin Fields versus without Justin Fields. So you might think Fields negative for running back targets, but that didn't bear out last year. A small sample, and it could be otherwise going forward but we're also talking about an offense where we don't like any wide receiver beyond (laughs) darnell mooney so there should be targets available even though we're looking at a running quarterback which generally isn't awesome for running back targets yeah and again montgomery has been good in the passing last year he was 17th among 51 qualifying running backs in pff receiving grade and yeah like you said i think the the you know lack of other viable weapons in this offense is going to help Montgomery maintain a a pretty nice target share. So he still seems like a pretty nice floor play to me. Um, Kind of in that Josh Jacobs mold over. He's just, you know, tough to get excited about. I don't think he has a massive ceiling just because this offense isn't going to be that good. I agree. And that's the thing for me is I haven't been scared to pass on him when I'm considering him because I don't think that he's giving you league winning upside, but there's certainly value. Khalil Herbert is also facing potential competition from Treston Ebner, who is a rookie this year, sixth round pick. Uh, wasn't Herbert a sixth round pick last year? I believe in the same round as, as Ebner this year. And of course, it's a new Bears staff picking Ebner. So we'll see if there's any meaning to that as we get into camp and start getting reports on roles for these guys. But Ebner, an 89th percentile speed score at 5'11", 209, 20 plus catches in all five of his college seasons at Baylor. yards per carry, which isn't a great number, especially for a guy with good speed, 11.9 yards per catch. So especially effective as a receiver in college. And we'll see how that factors into uh, his competition with Khalil Herbert for roles. Yeah, you're right. Ebner and Herbert were were both six rounders. Um, To me, they're they're totally different profiles. Like Ebner looks more like a change of pace pass catching back to me. Whereas I think Herbert is more of the, you know, early down bigger between the tackles type runner. Um, and again, Herbert was awesome last year, sixth in PFF rushing grade among 50 running backs with hundred plus carries. He was actually tops among seven qualifying rookies in PFF grade. So, you know, again, we'll see what that earns him in, in 2022. Um, and, and then to me, like Ebner is probably competing with Darrington Evans for that final roster spot as more of that pass catching back, right? Like that's, that's kind of the mold Evans was in. And I would bet on it being Ebner winning that job. Evans he was, you know, a non-factor in Tennessee, but he, he was a third round pick a few years ago. It was a, you know, had a decent profile coming in. So I think that's the competition to watch. I think Ebner and Evans are probably competing for the, the final roster spot here. Yeah, I'm not counting on anything from Evans. Uh, he was already cut by the team that drafted him in round three. So you, we'll see. There's certainly competition. I think as long as you head into the season not overly excited about any of these guys, you remember that we're talking about two sixth round picks and a third yeah. rounder that was cut by the team that drafted him. Then that's, you know, you can like whoever you want within that context. Sure. Yep. Pass catchers led by Darnell Mooney. His target share was actually higher when Allen Robinson was on the field last year than when he was out. 26.3% target share in 12 games with Allen Robinson, 25% in five games without Allen Robinson, 22.9% in nine full games with Justin Fields. All those are small samples. It was a rookie year for Justin Fields. And it's questionable how healthy Allen Robinson was when he was on the field. So, you know, Maybe all of those things were irrelevant. The biggest point for Darnell Mooney is that he jumped into a lead wide receiver role for a team that needed him to last year. Wasn't awesome, but definitely was awesome versus what we expected from him heading into the season. 
Well, I, I do wonder if, you know, just having Robinson on the field to, you know, take some defensive attention away, help Mooney, because that that's my ultimate question with him is like, what's the upside to him? Like he, he's a nice player. He's already shown that through two seasons, but he's a smaller guy. He, I just don't know if he profiles as a true number one. I don't know what the fantasy ceiling is here, but that said, like, you know, he, he was already 11th among wide receivers and targets last year, 140 of them. He was 10th among wide receivers in target share. And now it's just, you know, Allen Robinson, who played half a year last year, isn't there. And then we'll talk about the rest of the guys, the Bears signed, but none of them are very good. So, you know, Mooney, maybe the efficiency is going to decline, you know, without Robinson there to take some attention away. But the volume alone should support him as, you know, at least like a fantasy wide receiver three, which is where he's going in drafts right now. Yeah, I was going to say his case probably relies more on the ADP right now than it does on any efficiency metrics from last year. So we'll get to all the ADP in a few minutes, but let's talk about the rest of that pass catching group. And I think the most significant other name is not a wide receiver, but Cole Komet, who grabbed a more significant role with Jimmy Graham still around last year. Jimmy Graham is finally gone now. His target share was higher when Allen Robinson was not on the field, 18.1% without Robinson versus 16.7% with Robinson. And Cole Komet also got more targets with Justin Fields than without Justin Fields' 20.4% target share in full Justin Fields games. So, you know, again, small sample caveat, but it's at least um, a potentially positive signal that he worked well with Justin Fields last year. Yeah, and, you know, the, the volume was there for Komet last year. He was eighth among all tight ends in targets. He was 11th among tight ends in expected half PPR points. The story of his season obviously was that he didn't score any touchdowns, which you know, obviously hurt, hurts the final fantasy ranking. He finished just tight end 21 and half PPR points. But again, he was tight end 11 in expected points. So he was getting tight end one usage already. Uh, by the way, he had 4.4 expected touchdowns based on his usage. You know, he had 19 red zone targets and six end zone targets and, you know, still was unable to find the end zone. So that's just bad luck. He's obviously going to score some touchdowns this season. How, how many? I again, I don't know because I don't think this Bears offense is going to be very good. I also, don't, you know, Komet isn't a, a player that excites me. You look at the 35 tight ends who saw 40 plus targets last season. He was 25th among those 35 in PFF receiving grade, 22nd in yards per route run. So I, I think you know he's like a league average player. But you know, again, I think he's a good bet to finish top 12 among tight ends and targets. So that definitely makes him you know someone worth monitoring. Even though I, you know, I don't think the fantasy ceiling is is too high here. Yeah, I share the lack of excitement. Uh, he was at least a second-round pick, was a baseball star before committing to football, so he's at least a good athlete, uh, even among pro athletes. So, yeah, I, I share the lack of excitement, but the opportunity is clear. And a key reason for that is the rest of this wide receiver group, Byron Pringle. When Byron Pringle seems like, um, I don't know, a name worth highlighting, that tells you a lot about the rest of what's there. And then we were all waiting for the Bears to add somebody significant in the draft of the position. And they chose Vila. And I'm not even sure if it's Velas or Velas Jones Jr. Because I feel like you don't really want to talk about him enough to get locked into one or the other. And I had never heard anybody talk about him out loud before we got to the draft last year. Yeah, I've been going with Vilas, but we should probably check on that because he, unfortunately, is a name we might have to know this season. Um, I, mean, I, I was shocked when the Bears made him a third-round pick. Um, you know, really, was barely on my radar heading into the draft. He spent six years in college, uh, four at USC, two at Tennessee. He, he's already 25 years old. So, you know, he's you know he's older than some guys that have been in the league for, for three years already. And you know, the college production, no, nothing to get excited about. His um, career highs came last year, 807 yards and seven touchdowns didn't even lead Tennessee in uh, catches receiving yards or receiving touchdowns last year, you know, as a 
sixth year college player. He's he's six foot, two hundred four pounds, and he ran a four three one forty. So he's got good size and, and really nice speed. That obviously is what got him drafted. Um, and he's going to have opportunity to win a role. Um, he has a that speed's a good fit with Fields, who likes chucking it deep, is good throwing it deep. Um, so I, I actually have drafted this guy in like the 18th round in some underdog drafts. Um, but it's really just because of the opportunity. I don't I don't really believe in him as a player. Valus Jones, by the way, I just looked up according Valus to the okay. Tennessee website. Valus Jones Jr. was also a terrific special teams player. You know, the you after they draft him, we all got a good chuckle. And then you say, well, I guess I'm not drafting that Bears receiver. But if nobody is, as you mentioned, he's sitting there in round 18. And especially if you have Justin Fields already, it becomes a why not pick. And I mean, you know, after the way that he has been greeted into the NFL, I hope he makes us all look silly and does stuff just because it'll be a nicer story if he does, you know, outperform everybody's expectation. That said, tough to expect a whole lot from his 2022 fantasy profile behind them them being bayless jones and byron pringle Nikhil harry who just arrived via trade daz newsom tajay sharp dante pettis david moore so the bears are going with last year's texans model of just collecting all those wide receivers that you heard of at some point before and again that that's that's just the argument in favor of mooney and and, and cole Komet, is that you know those guys have the opportunity to claim pretty big target shares i i do th- i i would bet on it being uh, Pringle finishing second among these wide receivers in targets. Um, you know, he got just a one year, $4.1 million deal, but it was basically fully guaranteed. So his you know roster spot is secured. Um, he's, he's a fine player. You know, he, he did some stuff with Mahomes in Kansas city. It's going to be much tougher in Chicago, but I, I do think he's the best bet to finish second among bears wide receivers and targets. But even Pringle's a guy you only consider in you know the final few rounds of best ball drafts. Yeah. And it's worth noting that the chiefs let him walk on just a one year deal when they, brought in a whole new crew of wide receivers. So nothing to get excited about. I don't think from Byron Pringle. So let's move on to the ADP review section. We're going to be using underdog ADP as always. If you register on underdog now with promo code sharks, you can get a hundred percent match up to hundred dollars on your first deposit promo code sharks at underdog. Justin Fields ADP is QB 16 fair. I'm certainly getting some, I've been getting some in that range. He's been in that range all off season. Again, Jared, I would love to say that he belongs in the top 12, but I just don't think so when you project it. Yeah, it's just because there's so many quality quarterbacks is right. sort of the issue, like in, in that range. Um, but it would not shock me at all if, if Fields finished. It, you know, if he runs for, what would we say, he was on pace for 950 rushing yards. If he does that, you know, he's going to finish top 10. Um, so he's he's a guy I've been taking quite a bit in underdog drafts because, again, it's 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 uh, round 11. Mooney's pretty cheap, you know, Komet's cheap if you want him. And then you can even add a, you know, Valus Jones or a Byron Pringle at the end of your draft as a stack. Well, love him in best ball, super flex, Q, uh, two QB leagues. I would have yeah. a hard time relying on him as my starter. And he he's also going to be like, if you're, even if you're in a one quarterback league and you want to wait and take two quarterbacks and platoon them, he's not the typical guy where you're going to start him in good matchups or at least feel good about it. We'll see how that bears out, but you know, you see good passing matchups and you might make your decisions based on that. But if you do that, you miss, you know, a 65 yard uh, rushing day from Justin Fields in a bad matchup. Yep. Agreed. Running back, David Montgomery is at RB20, Khalil Herbert, RB51, Treston Ebner at RB97. You know, it comes up pretty much any time I draft. I get to Montgomery and I'm like, <laughs> he's fine here, but I just don't want yeah. him. So I love when I have at least two running backs before Montgomery comes up, because then I can be like, well, not looking running back here. I'm just going to take a wide receiver. 
Yep, I'm with you there. I mean, you look at the numbers, and RB20 is definitely not a bad price for Montgomery. Again, he was 14th in half PPR points per game last year, ninth in expected half PPR points. So the ADP is already baking in some risk that he loses some work to, you know, whether it be Herbert or Ebner. So he's fine there. Herbert is a guy I've been taking a lot of um, at RB51, 14th round on underdog. I think, I, to me, he's still the handcuff to Montgomery. Again, I, I think Ebner profiles is more of a change of pace pass catching guy we'll, we'll see how that plays out in camp so i think worst case you're getting a nice handcuff in montgomery then again i think there's a chance that he eats into montgomery's work enough or maybe he gives you you know some starting weeks in basketball even if montgomery stays healthy my biggest problem with herbert is he's right behind kenneth gainwell who i think has an easier path to work without somebody getting hurt than khalil herbert does um, behind them a little bit further, uh, a little bit more than around behind them, Marlon Mack, Jamal Williams. I think those guys are, I, I think Marlon Mack has a better path to immediate work. And I think Jamal Williams has at least as much handcuff upside. And again, probably get almost definitely gets more work even without the starter going down than Herbert does. Yeah. I like the Jamal Williams couple. Talk about him in a second here. Wide receiver, Darnell Mooney, wide receiver 28. So the concern with him for me would be if the situation and what he did last year is elevating expectations too high. That's not the case by his ADP. So he's at least a solid value at that point and certainly has the upside to well outscore wide receiver 28. Yeah, I think he's definitely safe. And I guess he has the upside because, you know, he already finished top 12 among wide receivers and targets last season. He could definitely do it again this season. So that's where the upside comes from. Again, I still don't know if, you know, he as a player has the upside to like be that true number one receiver, but if he's going to see 140, 150 targets, I guess he could definitely finish, you know, at least top 20. Yeah. I'm not overweight on him, but he is a good player in that range, especially if you start with a couple of running backs and you're looking to gather wide receivers in that range. That's a, it's a nice area of ADP to gather like three guys. If you're, picking in the right spot to be able to do that. Yep. The next bears wide out in ADP is Byron mm-hmm. Pringle at wide receiver 97. So you don't have to like anybody else here. It's all guys that you're saying, okay, I already have Justin Fields. It's a best ball roster. Who am I going to take with my last pick to stack and try to steal some points? Yeah. I'm only taking those guys. If I have fields and you know, if I'm looking for a wide receiver in round 18, I, I will look to Pringle or, or Jones. Yeah, I would just slightly add to that if I have the Vikings, who I believe is who they play in week 17. Lions. That's right. That's an even sneakier one because the Vikings are playing the Packers. So, yeah, Bears-Lions that week. So that makes it less attractive because if I already have Jared Goff, then I probably already don't feel (laughs) great. And I want to forget that I'm working on a Bears-Lions stack. Bears Lions in Detroit though, so it's you know, it's going to be a dome game. You don't have to worry about weather. So that's that that makes it. And, and all those guys are cheap. I I I probably have too many Bears Lions stacks, and I'd care to admit an underdog right now. Yeah, it is. I mean, that could be a sneaky, impactful fantasy game that week. Cole Komet to round out the Bears at tight end thirteen. That's up a little bit from where he has spent a lot of draft season. I think he's still a fair value in there. I don't think he's a screaming value there. When we get into full PPR lineup setting drafts, that's where I want Cole Komet because I do think he's going to come with a pretty nice floor at the position. But, you know, underdog's half PPR, so it weighs touchdowns more heavily. I don't think Komet's going to score a ton of those. And, again, I, I just don't think he's going to bring a, a big weekly ceiling. He's going to be more of a floor play. Yeah, I think those expected TDs calculations need to factor in that you play for the Bears. <laughs> yeah. On to the Detroit Lions, and they head into year two under head coach Dan Campbell. But – They've got a new offensive coordinator. They fired OC Anthony Lynn after just one season. Of course, halfway through that one season, he had play calling duties stripped from him. Uh, Dan Campbell said afterward, it just wasn't a fit. 
Um, Lynn called plays for the first half. Dan Campbell called plays in the second half. We'll see who's going to be calling them this year because the new OC is a first-time guy, Ben Johnson, spent the past two years as the tight ends coach for the Lions, was a holdover from the previous coaching staff, 2019 with those Lions, seven previous years with Miami. So we'll see what Ben Johnson is and what he brings as an offensive coordinator. And Campbell said in June that he's not even sure who's going to be calling plays yet this season. That's going to be something to look out for. The, the, the Lions did go quite a bit run heavier um, in those final nine under Dan Campbell. Their points per game also shot up by about four points. Um, so we'll see. You know, I think um, if it is Campbell, I would expect it to be run heavy because that's, you know, he, he's Dan Campbell. You know, he, he's, he, he wants to pound the rock. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Hopefully we find out, find out before week one who's going to be calling the plays. Yards per game were nearly identical between the two spans, so perhaps the points were fluky. We'll see about that. Certainly not boosting or lowering expectations based on this coaching uh, thing. Run-pass split, I'm at 61-39. That might be a little bit high on the pass because, like you mentioned, they want to run. But we look back at last year, they wanted to run then. They were tied – let's see – Let me sort out my notes here. Um, They were 23rd in neutral pass rate in 2020, down to 31st in that category last year. They were 31st in neutral pass rate weeks one through eight, uh, 27th the rest of the way, even though their pass rate actually dipped over that span, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned with Dan Campbell calling plays. The problem, not a lot of neutral situations for that Lions team because they weren't very good. So you can run all you want, but if you're trailing every single week, then you're going to be passing more than you want to. And that's why I have them up in that 60-40 range. We'll see if they can be better. They're tied for the fifth lowest win projection in the league at six and a half, but there is some juice on the over. There are pockets of people saying maybe the Lions could surprise and contend for this division. I I can see that, uh, but the money is still on them not being a good team. So I think that's going to bring down the run rate. Yeah, I think they're going to be better at least. You're not good, but I, I think the six and a half win total is fair. I think they win, you know, six, six seven games. I have them at 57 and a half percent pass, uh, I guess, probably because I do expect them to, you know, be in neutral or leading game scripts a bit more. I mean, again, even last year when they sucked, they were 55 percent pass only over those final nine games under Dan Campbell. Now, they did add weapons to the passing games. So, you know, that might push them a bit more in that direction. But um, yeah, 57 and a half percent pass for me. Yeah, I so I, I have the higher number. I say even with that, it might be high on the pass, and I would not be surprised. I don't think it ultimately matters too much in the rest of the projections, but we'll get to the positions now. And QB Jared Goff is just another reason not to pass the ball a whole lot because he's still not very good. Uh, his first yeah. Lions season produced his worst PFF overall and passing grade since his rookie year. It might be this might be his last season with Detroit because he's sitting on about $41 million in dead cap this year. If the team were to move on from him, that drops to 10 million next year, 5 million the year after that, which would be the final year on his current contract um, versus a 30 plus million dollar cap hit each season. If he's kept. So it sure looks like all those numbers, according to spot track, of course, it sure looks to me like it would make sense for the lions to get rid of him after this season. Yeah, I could definitely see that, especially with the incoming quarterback class looking strong. Um, I don't know, p- part of me wants to be optimistic about Goff and fantasy this year, just because we've seen him put up nice fantasy numbers with a good cast of weapons with the Rams. Um, and I think this Lions group has a chance to be good. I mean, I mean, you know, 
first of all, Goff missed Hawkinson for five games last year and DeAndre Swift for four. Um, then the wide receiver core, you know, outside Amon Ross St. Brown was just bad. And they add DJ Chark in free agency. They draft Jamison Williams with the 12th overall pick. So, you know, th- this group has a chance to be much better than it was last year. And again, we've seen Goff be like a borderline quarterback one with good weapons. That was also a, a pass leaning offense under Sean McVay, where, you know, this is, I think, still going to be run leaning and, you know, under a more defensive minded coaching staff. So I don't know. There's, there's too many good quarterbacks to get Goff too high up the rankings, but I do think he at least has some weekly upside, especially in the back half of the year. If he gets, you know, James Williams, you know, somewhere close to hundred percent. Yeah. I would say the reason to draft Jared Goff is because it's late and he does start in the NFL. He's going to start <laughs> for this team throughout the year, unless he gets hurt. Yeah. He did. He had three top 12 weeks last year, two others among the top 14. So he certainly can get up into that range, especially if the pass catchers are better. And I agree that there's the potential for that to be, I think the best way to play Jared Goff is to stack with either TJ Hawkinson or Deandre Swift because he likes to operate in the shorter range. And those are the more upside, shorter range guys. We'll talk about everybody as we move on running back specifically, Jared Goff targeted his running backs on 24.8% of his passes last year. That was third highest among quarterbacks with 300 plus attempts last season. Yeah. The deep ball stuff is interesting. It's it's almost like the lions are, building this wide receiver core for their next quarterback. Cause like, you know, DJ Chark, although DJ Chark just signed a one-year deal, but you know, Jameson Williams definitely doesn't feel like a good fit with golf. Although, you know, Williams is capable of taking short stuff for, for big gains too. So we'll see, but you know, definitely not ideal because golf does not like to push it downfield and isn't that great when he does. Mm-hmm. So before we get to all those pass catchers, let's talk about the pass catching running back, DeAndre Swift, who, as I mentioned, could benefit from Jared Goff more than some other guys on the team. 10th in PPR points per game last season. But if you take out his final three games, which started with the Thanksgiving shoulder injury, mm-hmm. uh, over that span, Swift had just 14 total carries and 11 total targets. So if you take out those three games, fourth in PPR points per game, Uh, over the remaining 10-game sample, fourth among running backs and targets last year despite missing four games and being hurt for those others late in the year, 29th in that group in carries. So clearly the value with him is as a pass catcher. And the concern, I think the greatest concern with Swift is the injury history. Yeah, that's a concern. I, I have some concerns with the target volume too. I mean, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, what, the additions that wide receiver are going to mean for Amon St. St. Amon Ross St. Brown's target volume, but no one's talking about it with DeAndre Swift. And I mean, I, I think he's a good pass catching back, but you look at some of the numbers and they tell you otherwise, like in PFF receiving grades, Swift is just 38th among 51 qualifying running backs. Uh, Football outsiders DVOA uh, receiving wise had him 31st among those 51 running backs. So you know, I think there's a chance he loses some target volume. And he also wasn't good as a runner last year, 48th in PFF rushing grade among 50 running backs dead last among those 50 running backs in football outsiders DVOA. Uh, you know, uh, Jamal Williams beat him in both of those categories. So I'm, I'm a bit lower than consensus on Swift. And I liked him going into last year when he was going in the you know late third, fourth round, but now that he's a, you know, round one, two turn kind of guy, um, especially an, an underdog where it's only half PPR. I'm uh, I'm definitely underweight on Swift so far. Yes. Uh, For me on underdog, especially Swift is a player that I might take occasionally just to make sure I'm not totally out on him, but definitely not a target player for me in half PPR and really not even a target player for me in full PPR. I I think he's an overrated player at this point, just in terms of actual, you know, football talent, NFL productivity so far. That doesn't mean that he can't be a terrific fantasy asset, 
I think what you expect there depends on at least some what you expect from these Lions. Are these wide receivers going to draw targets? Are they going to change things? Is Amon Ross St. Brown going to be a star? Because like you said, if all these guys are on the field and if they are all commanding targets, there are just going to be fewer available for Swift. And that's especially important for him. If the team is going to be better and throwing the ball less, then that's yep. probably bad for Swift. Because if we look at the seven games last year before Jamal Williams got hurt and before DeAndre Swift got hurt. So the first seven games of the year had both of these guys healthy. We had Swift getting 47.3% of the carries, Jamal Williams getting 43%. So a very close split between them. The split was much wider in targets, 18.8% target share for Swift over that span, 6.5% for Jamal Williams. We had that opener last year where they each got a ton of targets, 11 for Swift and 9 for Williams. And Swift stayed up there in terms of target share, whereas Williams fell immediately down. So we really need those targets to stay for Swift to deliver as a fantasy asset. And I agree, just overall, there are more question marks for me than there are reasons to believe that he's going to deliver at that high ADP. Yeah. And again, Williams beat Swift in PFF rushing grade, elusive rating and football outsiders rushing DVOA last year. I mean, Williams is not flashy, but, but he's a good runner and we've you know seen multiple coaching staff just like him just for, I think his reliability. Um, the, the one thing I would say working in favor of both these guys, I think this lion's offensive line could be really good this season. Um, they were just mediocre last year. If you look at PFF run blocking grade and football outsiders adjusted line yards, but they were missing center Frank Ragnall for 13 games. They were missing left tackle Taylor Decker for eight games. They, they returned all five starters from last year's O-line and all those guys are under 30 years old. So it just, it looks like a talented ascending O-line. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year, we're talking about this as a top 10, maybe even like a top five offensive line in the NFL. Yeah, the O-line that they expected to put out there at the beginning of last season never materialized for a single game that that set of five didn't ever start together last season. DeAndre Swift still had 1.68 yards before contact per rush for the season, which ranked him third among 30 running backs with at least 150 carries. So that's a good mark for the offensive line, which, as you mentioned, could get better this year. I think it's important to not forget about Jamal Williams. Um, he It was it was easy to kind of underrate him or overlook him at points last year because we had Craig Reynolds pop out. We had Godwin Igwebuke at least show up on the radar. Jamar Jefferson, of course, went down early. He's still around. So we'll see exactly what the team expects from any of those guys. But even with those guys in the mix last year, Williams quietly rebounded to average 15 carries over his final five games of the season. That, of course, was in that span where Swift was hurt but it yeah. was still Jamal Williams as the number two running back. Yeah. So in his 11 games with Deandre Swift, Williams was 36 in expected half PPR points per game and 44th in actual half PPR points. So he, he was, he was an RB four, um, which I kind of think is what he'll be this season. Probably not someone you're sticking into, you know, lineup setting leagues, but someone who could on occasion start for you in best ball. And then I, I you know, I do think he's, he's the handcuff. If Swift misses time, and as you said at the beginning here, you know Swift has dealt with a bunch of injuries, even going back to his Georgia days. Um, if Swift misses more time, I think Williams is you know going to get 15 carries and, and a handful of targets. Yeah, let's check the Draft Sharks injury guide for DeAndre Swift's projection in terms of injury risk this year. High risk, very high risk, according to the injury yeah. guide algorithm. So a factor of that into DeAndre Swift's outlook as well. Um, on to the pass catchers, starting with Amon Ross St. Brown. Of course, we all know about the huge finish to last year. The targets picked way up from week 13 on 
only Justin Jefferson had more targets than Amon Ross St. Brown over that span. Only Cooper cup caught more passes and scored more fantasy points among wide receivers. That of course was a span where they lost uh, TJ Hawkinson, where they lost Deandre Swift um, 15% target share for St. Brown before Hawkinson went down 32 and a half percent after 13.6% target share before Deandre Swift went down, which was a week before Hawkinson's injury. Uh, St. Brown did reach 20% target share three times before either of those guys went down. So it's not like he was doing nothing before those guys got hurt, but obviously was a factor in his late season rise. Yeah. St. Brown, definitely one of the most divisive players in fantasy. I think, I mean, you have one side that say his big finish to last season was just the product of the Lions having no one else to throw to. Then you have the other side that will say, you know, you have to be good to, command that target share and produce like Amon Ra St. Brown did over the final few games. I, I I think both can be true. Like I think he probably is a good player. He's going to have a nice NFL career. And I also think it's true that his target share was boosted quite a bit by the fact that, you know, Hawkinson and Swift missed a lot of that time. Um, so you know, I, again, I'm, I'm willing to buy into him. He's going late enough where, you know, he, he's obviously not priced for the final run he had last season when he was, you know, one of the most productive fantasy wide receivers in the league. Um, but I, I also don't think he's going to see anywhere close to, you know, the 30% target share he had over that stretch. Yeah. You, regardless of who got hurt and who's available for your team, you have to be good to get 32 and percent target share in the NFL at any point during the season in any situation. That said, if he were a superstar, then he probably would have gotten more, earlier in the season before guys went down. So, you know, you don't, you don't have to disbelieve in the player to say that he's in for a fall, but as you mentioned, he started draft season higher up than he is right now. So he's easier to take in some drafts at this point, his 7.1 yard average depth of target last year also fits Jared Goff's game much better than either DJ Chark or Jamison Williams It's even three tenths of a yard shorter than where Hawkinson was in a dot last year. So I think that might be the greatest factor working in Amon Ross St. Brown's favor. Yeah. So over the final eight games of last season, he was fourth in PFF receiving grade among 68 qualifying wideouts. He was 15th among those 68 in uh, yards per route run. So like he, he played well, you know, it was not just the fact that there was no one else to throw to. Uh, let's jump over Hawkinson and to the wideouts because DJ Chark, as you said, arrived on a one-year free agent deal. Jamison Williams arrived as the 12th overall pick in the draft. Now, Jamison Williams is an exciting player long-term. I don't want any part of him for 2022 fantasy because he tore an ACL in January. So we've already got a difficult transition from college to the NFL for a receiver. You know, plenty of guys have starred right away. Plenty more guys have come along slowly because it's difficult to get used to the NFL game. So you put that in with uh, an unexciting offense that we don't expect to be too friendly to wide receiver scoring. Yep. Um, I, I, I just, I have a, a hard time imagining Jamison Williams producing, producing with any consistency and even getting close to his ceiling as a first year player this year. Yeah. So it was uh, January 10th in the national championship when uh, Williams tore his left ACL. There was also some meniscus damage to that knee. He, he was able to get surgery a few days later, January 13th. So, you know, that puts the, the nine month out from surgery at October 13th. So, you know, that we should consider that the earliest possible time we see him back. So he's going to miss at least the first month of the season. Tough to see him, you know, doing a whole lot in his first few games back. So I think best case, it's the second half of the year. To me, the 
place to take Jamison Williams is in these best ball tournaments where again, all the money's at the end, you need to have big scores at the end. And I think he has a chance to, to, you know, be a difference maker, you know, over the final month of the season. So, you know, in these underdog basketball drafts in the FFPC basketball tournament, that's when I'm going to take some, some shots on Williams. Um, you know, once we get to more standard leagues, more lineup setting leagues, I think, you know, he's, he's, he's you know going to be tough to make a case for considering it's going to be at least, you know, for the first half of the season before we can, we can consider using him. Yeah, we'll talk more about ADPs as we get beyond this section. Uh, anything on DJ Chark before we go back to TJ Hawkinson? No, just, just again, I think he's a, a bad fit with Goff. You, you look at Chark in Jacksonville. In 2019, 42% of his receiving yards came on targets 20-plus yards downfield. 41% of his yards came on targets 20-plus yards downfield in 2020. Goff last year, just 9% of his passes went 20-plus yards downfield. That was 30th among 35 qualifiers and he was 34th among those 35 in deep passing grade. So again, like we said, doesn't like to throw it deep very often. Isn't good when he does. Um, and like Chark can still do stuff in the short intermediate range, but his best asset is his size and speed downfield. And I, I just don't think we're going to, you know, get anything close to a ceiling season from Chark with Goff. Yeah. So Jared Goff threw at a slight threw deep at a slightly higher rate last year than the final season with the Rams. But as you mentioned, it was still low. He's turned in his two worst career PFF deep passing grades the past two years, one with the Rams, one with the Lions last year. He threw 50% plus of his attempts to the short range for the second straight year. So he's, I don't know how much of it's scheme and how much of it's him, but he's playing like a less daring quarterback as he spends more time in the league. And yet, sure, any of these fast receivers are capable of catching a short ball and taking it farther, but the differentiator for both DJ Chark and Jamison Williams versus other wide receivers is being able to work downfield. So they're yep. now paired with a quarterback that's not good for that. So it, it certainly makes me like both of those players less than I might in other situations. Hawkinson tied for fifth in target share with Dallas Goddard and Kyle Pitts for his healthy games last year, played a career high 53% of his uh, passing routes in the slot career low 35% in line. So we like that for his receiving role, his route rate crept up for the second straight year, still just 18th among 44 tight ends who drew at least 30 mm-hmm. targets. According to PFF, his yards after catch per reception were down for the second straight e- second straight year. His contested catch rate was up. So I think all of that balances out to a guy that's a fine um, pass catcher and is producing at a decent level for where he is and what he's gotten so far. And as I mentioned with Amon Ross St. Brown, the fact that Hawkinson works in that shorter to intermediate range pairs nicely with the quarterback, whereas the lack of deep ball is bad for those speedy wideouts. Yeah. And, and, you know, fine is kind of where I'm at with Hawkinson. Like I think he's a safe mid range tight end one. So you even look at his 12 games last year before uh, that thumb injury that, that ended his season, he was seventh in actual half PPR points per game and seventh in expected half PPR points per game. He was also tight on seven and half PPR points per game in 2020. Um, you look at like PFF receiving grades in 2020, 10th out of 34 qualifying wide receivers last year, 10th out of 35 qualifying wide receivers. So I'm just, I'm, I think I'm done betting on like the ceiling case for Hawkinson where he could like, you know, bust into the top three at the position, but he's still a young guy. He's commanded targets. He's been, you know, above average efficiency wise with those targets. I don't think that's going to go away. Um, again, I just think he's a safe mid range tight end one. Um, it's also worth noting that, you know, we, we said uh, their new OC, Ben Johnson, was Hawkinson's position coach the past two seasons. Hawkinson's already 
talked up, you know, kind of being excited about how Johnson's going to use him in the offense this season. So that, that's worth keeping an eye on in preseason and, um, you know, early in the regular season. But tough to see Hawkinson, like, you know, setting new career highs and targets and target share with the added competition at wide receiver this year. Dan Campbell also played tight end in the NFL before coaching tight end. So, I mean, he's, he seems to be in the right spot for guys appreciating him. To me, Hawkinson is like a more talented Cole Komet. Cause it's worth remembering that before Kyle Pitts was drafted, TJ Hawkinson was the highest drafted tight end ever. I'm going to give him much more talented than, than Cole Komet. <laughs> yeah. Tied for sixth in fantasy points per snap among tight ends last year with Darren Waller, Hunter Henry, Pat Fryermuth, tied for 10th in 2020. Um, Tied for 26th as a rookie, so he's been up the past two years in that category at least. Let's look at the ADPs for these Lions offensive players. Jared Goff at QB 26, which is fair for what he is, but it's also ahead of Carson Wentz on underdog. And for me, it's not even close between Jared Goff and Carson Wentz for best ball weekly upside. Yeah, Wentz gives you the the rushing over Goff, which is a zero in that department. So Wentz is the better. And deep balls. And deep balls, yeah. So Wentz is better better play in a backing for sure. The only reason I'm... Drafting Goff as if I have, you know, one of these Lions pass catchers and I want to make the stack. Yes, I agree with that. 16 picks ahead of Davis Mills in ADP as well. And I think that Jared Goff and Davis Mills look very similar to me. And we don't even know yet what the ceiling is for Davis Mills. Plus, I'm more likely to have Brandon Cooks already on my team than I am. I'm on Ross St. Brown or any of the Lions. That's for sure. I also think that, you know, even if you just don't want any of those quarterbacks I just named, I think there's more fantasy upside to waiting and trying to guess right on the Pittsburgh situation, on the Atlanta situation, because of the rushing ability for all the guys involved in those two spots, as well as Drew Locke. And I mean, you know, there's some risk that Drew Locke doesn't start ahead of Geno Smith, but if he does, I think there's a lot more weekly upside to Drew Locke than there is to Jared Goff. There is. Yeah. I mean, again, the best, I think we said it, the best argument for Goff is just that, you know, he's, he's going to give you. 17 starts if he, if he stays healthy, which does have some value in best ball. Um, but again, I, I don't love the ceiling on him. Yeah. DeAndre Swift, RB8. He's just behind Joe Mixon, just ahead of Aaron Jones. Seems like a fair range, but he's also ahead of Saquon Barkley, and that makes him uh, nearly not interested for me because, to me, Barkley is a much better DeAndre Swift in an even better situation just because he doesn't have a Jamal Williams to him. Yeah, I don't think I've drafted Swift yet on underdog. Now he he's also RBA in FFPC ADP, and that he looks much better there because that's full PPR. You know, I think Swift gets a pretty nice boost and with full PPR. So FFPC is is the place to draft Swift. I think I'm not really taking him on underdog. Jamal Williams RB 55. You know, you mentioned some of the numbers, the expected fantasy points and where he actually finished last year, RB 45 in PPR points per game last year, RB 43 in total half PPR points last year. So not a guy that's going to win you your league, not a guy to get excited about, but I mean, clearly just a, a value where he's going. And then the handcuff upside of sweat, if Swift goes down. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the cheaper, like, mostly locked in handcuffs. Like I think Williams is going to be that number two back behind Swift. And um, there's not many guys you can say that about that are you know going later than Williams. So definitely not an exciting pick. Like you're not going to get a lot of, a lot of buzz going on Twitter when you show people that you drafted Jamal Williams in round 15. But I, I think he's a pretty solid pick there. And the other benefit to taking him is that he's probably getting more work than the other guys who are handcuffed types going around him when Swift is healthy. Wide receiver, Amon Ross St. Brown is at 29 at the position. He opened draft season closer to 20. So I think now that he has dropped, I'm more yep. interested than I was, especially considering that there are more players in the mix now with all the rookies having been drafted at this point. 
Yep, fair fair price on Amon Ra. He's another guy that I think it has more value in full PPR. Um, so it hasn't been like a target player for me on underdog, but you know, if if he's kind of top of the queue, top of my rankings, and I'm looking for a wide receiver, I have no issue taking St. Brown at, at wide receiver 29. He'll be like the wide receiver version of David Montgomery for me, I think. Yep. Yep, for sure. Jamison Williams, wide receiver 61 on underdog. Jahan Dotson is just behind him. KJ Osborne, Van Jefferson, nearly around later. Robbie Anderson just behind them. So for me, that's the biggest reason to not be on him is that I can get healthier versions. You know, all healthy. Jamison Williams is the most exciting player among all those guys, but all of those guys are healthier than he is. They're all in situations where they'll get plenty of targets with either handcuff upside or rebound upside in the case of Anderson. So I'm more interested in all those guys than I am Jamison Williams. Plus DJ Charks at wide receiver 70. So he's 20, 80, 80p spots behind his rookie teammate. Yeah. I mean, all those wide receivers you mentioned are good bets to outscore Williams, even in, you know, fantasy points per game um again you know the reason to take Jamison williams is you know if you get a healthy version of him over the final couple months of the season he does have that you know ability to to score you know 20 plus fantasy points and be a difference maker down the stretch so i am getting a little bit of him in these best ball tournaments and you know that that's kind of where i'm going to have my Jamison williams exposure tj hawkinson sitting tight end seven that's fair he's one spot behind dalton schultz but almost two full rounds behind dalton schultz overall which i mean i'm easily taking hawkinson over schultz comparing just those two the problem is that dallas goddard is nearly another full round behind tj hawkinson and we have talked plenty about dallas goddard already yep i'm with you give me hawkinson easily over schultz at those adps but but give me goddard you know at a round discount over hawkinson pretty easily um, so that moves us on to the Green Bay Packers, Jared, and there are some coaching changes here, same head coach, but some yep. coaching changes just below that. Yeah. The Packers lost a bunch of assistant offensive coaches to other teams this offseason. So we had last year's offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett and tight ends coach, Justin Outen leave for Denver. We talked about them a few shows ago. And then we talked about Luke Getze gone to, gone to Chicago. He was the Packers passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach last year under Matt LaFleur. So we'll, we'll see, you know, LaFleur offensive minded guy. I think he was running the show on offense. We'll see if the you know, losses at those other spots have an impact. Um, Packers have been a you know, pretty balanced offense as far as run pass split goes under LaFleur 15th, 26th and 16th in pass rate over the last three seasons. They have been higher in situation neutral pass rate all three years, seventh, ninth, and 11th. So, you know, it's, it's been the leading game scripts that have pushed them a bit towards the run. Um, you know, what, what I hate about this offense is how slow paced it's been. They were 18th in situation neutral pace in the Fleurs uh, first two seasons, or sorry, first season, 32nd and 31st the last two years, which just is surprising to me when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, who, you know, obviously, knows what he's doing out there. Still one of the best quarterbacks in the game. I'm not sure why they've decided to go so slow on offense, um, but kind of, you know, tough to expect that to change after this team, you know, lost Devonte Adams this off season. I mean, I wonder if part of it is so many positive game scripts. I mean, they've won a lot of games over the past three years. So that can mean taking the air out of the ball in the second half. So maybe that slows it down. I, I don't know. I can't dig far enough into the numbers yeah. to see that. But it's, you know, it's also kind of tough to criticize based on how successful yep. they've been over the past three years. Sure. Yeah, I mean, th- those numbers were situation neutral pay, so they should be, you know, weeding out the times when they're just, you know, taking the air out of the ball with, with a lead. Mm-hmm. Um, so where are you at run pass split looking forward? I went 57% pass 
this year, which is down from their 58 and a half percent pass last year. I mean, it's just, you know, losing Devonta Adams, I think is, you know, should push them at least a bit more towards the run. Yes, I would agree as well. And they've been trending a little bit further in toward the run, you know, still above average in terms of how often they want to pass in neutral situations. But I mean, it just looks like a team that should lean a little bit further the other way. I have 59-41 for projection purposes. I would not be surprised if it's below that. And I think ultimately it won't really matter because I'm not projecting anybody for big numbers in the passing game here. Yep, for sure. On to quarterback Aaron Rodgers turned 38 in December. He's still around after it's it's easy to forget that this offseason began with another turn of the where's Aaron Rodgers going to play this season. And then he wound up, you know, extending with the Packers. And then shortly after that, it was like a week later, the Packers traded away Devontae Adams, which was shocking. Now, I'm not going to project Aaron Rodgers to fall apart because Devontae Adams is gone. But from a fantasy standpoint, I mean, you have to add a gigantic red flag to his outlook because Devontae Adams accounted for 30.5% of Aaron Rodgers' passing yards last year, 34.2% of his touchdown passes. That's despite missing a game. In 2020, 32% of the yards, 37.5% of the touchdowns. That was despite missing two games that season. So Devontae Adams has basically been a third of the passing offense the past two years when Aaron Rodgers has rebounded for good fantasy numbers. Yep, I looked at the total passing fantasy points Adams accounted for. uh, 34% last year, 35% the year before. So like you said, he's been a third of Rodgers' passing fantasy points. And Rodgers... You know, obviously still playing at a high level last year. He was good in fantasy quarterback six. He was fourth among quarterbacks in PFF passing grade. But I don't care how good you are when you lose Devonta Adams and don't add anything significant to the wide receiver core. That's that's going to hurt your fantasy production. The other thing with Rodgers, too, is he's gotten older. The rushing has gone away. Um, his rushing yards per game has declined every year since 2016. And he averaged a career low 6.3 rushing game rushing yards per game last year. So he's almost a zero running the ball now. And, you know, you, you tack that into the fact that I think his passing production and efficiency is going to have to decline without Devonta Adams. Um, he, he's Rogers is a tough guy for me to get excited about drafting. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously the targets are going to go somewhere else because they're not just going to not throw the ball at all, but Devonte Adams was hyper efficient in catch rate, hyper efficient touchdown. So it, it has to hurt at least some, we'll see where it goes. The ADP at least has come down on Aaron Rodgers, but we'll talk about that more in a few minutes running back. I think this is a group that gets spotlighted a little bit more because of the Devonte Adams trade overall, AJ Dillon edged Aaron Jones and carries last year, Aaron Jones more than double Dillon in targets and Jones's late season knee sprain definitely factored into that rushing split. When Aaron Jones played 50 plus percent of the snaps last year, he handled 51% of the team's carries, 15% of the team's targets. Dylan handled 33% of carries in those games, 5.1% of targets. Sure, that can change in the third season for AJ Dillon and just the second year of really a significant role for him after he was a second round pick couple years ago, but Aaron Jones has been operating as, you know, the quote unquote clear lead back. You could argue about what makes you clear lead, but he has been the lead rusher over the past two years with AJ Dillon around. For sure. And I mean, even last year, if you look at their roles, so they, they were to get, they played 14 games together last season in those games, Jones was 15th among running backs and expected FPPR points. AJ Dillon was down at 46. Um, And that's large. Jones just did a lot more in, in the passing game 
than Dylan did. Um, I mean, both these guys were awesome last year. So 50 running backs, uh, 100 plus carries last year. Dylan was third among those 50 in PFF rushing grade. Aaron Jones was seventh among those 50 in PFF rushing grade. So, you know, it's like a cliche thing to say, especially like around this time that this, you know, this team should get both these guys on the field together. But, you know, the, pack, the Packers really should get these guys on the field together, you know, and, and probably be splitting Jones out into the slot or out wide or whatever and keeping Dylan in the backfield because, you know, they are they are the team's best two weapons um, on the offensive side of the ball. So we'll see what their plans are there. Um, but, again, they're both talented guys. I do still think Jones is the guy you want in fantasy because of the, the receiving stuff. And, you know, you, you've probably seen this, the splits of um, Jones's numbers in games without Devonta Adams. So there have been seven of them um, over the past few seasons. Jones has averaged 6.7 targets, 5.1 catches, and 55 receiving yards in those games without Devontae Adams. I don't think he's going to hit those marks this year, but I mean, it definitely makes sense that his involvement in the passing game is going to get a, a pretty nice boost without Devontae Adams. Yeah, certainly you have to give a few caveats. It's seven games over a yep. fairly, you know, larger sample of games. So it's, it, it's a small sample to draw too much from. Plus in season, they're suddenly replacing somebody taken away as opposed to having a whole off season to figure out the plan of going without Devontae Adams. So yeah, as long as you're not saying, well, this is what he's done with Devontae Adams out in the past. So this is what he's going to do this season. I, I think it's certainly a potential opportunity to grow the targets for Aaron Jones, who's just been a very good player in all aspects. You know, the, the touchdown rate can certainly come down because he's done very well in touchdown efficiency throughout his career but there should be more passes. The carries should remain. We could see the team run more toward running the or lean more toward running the ball. So there are plenty of paths to Aaron Jones getting more numbers this year. I, I, I guess my only holdup with Aaron Jones is what if this offense is suddenly significantly weaker, you know, at least less efficient than it's been yep. in recent seasons. And that just trickles down to everybody. And then, you know, we're taking Aaron Jones in a range with other very good players, both running backs and wide receivers. So it stopped me from making Aaron Jones really a target player. I can't fault anybody who is saying that he has big PPR upside this year, though. Yeah, the offense is a concern. And to me, it's just like the other running backs going in his range don't have an A.J. Dillon behind him like Aaron Jones remains a super effective player still but AJ Dillon was great last year too so it's possible Dillon starts to eat into Jones's I I, I think it's rushing work primarily I think Jones is safe as the primary pass catching back here which is nice um other note here kind of you know like Detroit I think Green Bay's O-line should be better this year than last just because they're going to be healthier um left tackle David Bakhtiari didn't debut until week 18 last year after tearing his ACL the previous year um, right tackle Elkin Jenkins went down in week 11 last year with his own ACL tear. So we'll, we'll see if he's ready for week one, but he'll be back at some point this season. And then they were also missing uh, center Josh Myers for 11 of the final 13 games of last season. So if those guys are healthier this year, the, the old line in front of these backs should be better. What they should do is put mascot heads on everybody on defense if they really want to maximize A.J. Dillon's potential this season. Let's move on to the pass catchers that aren't named Aaron Jones. And really, it's an ugly group. Like I, I'm surprised that things went this way again. Alan Lazard, Christian Watson, Sammy Watkins, Randall Cobb, Romeo Dubs. Of course, the new guys are Watson, Watkin, and Dubs. Two of those guys are rookie Sammy Watkins, the free agent signee from Baltimore. Jared, is there any uh, anybody here that I guess stands out to you that that is calling for the spotlight for any reason? Outside of Alan Lazard or, or including him? No, include Alan Lazard, anybody. I mean, yeah, Lazard Lazard's a tough one. He's like a 
classic case of like, you know, how much does talent matter versus opportunity at wide receivers? There's, there's obviously a ton of opportunity available here. Um, I also just think Lazard is an average NFL player that even that might be kind. Um, you, you look at 90 wide receivers that saw 50 plus targets last season. Lazard was 76th among those 90 in PFF receiving grades, 77th in yards per route run, you know, playing with Aaron Rodgers with Devontae Adams on the other side of the field. Like, you know, he's going to get more defensive attention this season has never topped a 15.6 target, 15.6% uh, target share in a season. So like, I think Lazard's a pretty good bat to lead the Packers wide receivers and targets, but like he could lead it at like, you know, 16, 17% target share. And that's, you know, he might hit wide receiver three numbers with that, with that type of volume. Yeah. So the opportunity is obviously there, but I think it's very easy to overrate this opportunity versus the talent because Green Bay also has the opportunity to sign him longer term if they want to. And they did not, they yeah. just, he's there on just the restricted free agent tender. So he's there on a small one-year deal. He already did the, not a holdout, but he didn't go to minicamp, didn't sign his tender because he was hoping for a longer term deal. And teams like, nah, you're just Alan Lazard. We are going to draft some other guys. We're going to sign Sammy Watkins and you're going to be in the mix. So even the Packers with their actions are telling us, I think Alan Lazard is a guy not Alan Lazard is the guy. Cause I can't imagine he's asking for a ton of money. He's 26, doesn't turn 27 until December. So he's young enough where it would be sensible to use a three-year contract on him, especially if they think big stuff's ahead of him. Cause you would want to get out ahead of any big stuff and sign him before he is that valuable on the open market. So all of that just makes me want to temper any expectation for Alan Lazard. And I think let's just jump into the ADPs with them. Cause I think it's the most significant part of any argument. So Alan Lazard's at wide receiver 39, which is fine. I'm not going to tell you that wide receiver 39 is a terrible price, but just looking around him there, um, he's ahead of Michael Thomas. Now he's ahead of Christian Kirk, ahead of Kadarius, Tony, Brandon, Ayuk, MVS and KC. He's just behind Hunter Renfro and Drake London. So he doesn't stand out to me in any way. And especially then when you compare it to the ADPs of his teammates, Christian Watson's at wide receiver 54, which you know, maybe you don't believe in Watson. You don't want to take him. He's still significantly behind Lazard and what you have to pay. Sammy Watkins, wide receiver, 75. Cobb, wide receiver, 100. Dubs, wide receiver, 102. For me, this is just a wide receiver core to wait, 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 and then late in the draft, take somebody in case they just spread targets around all season. Yeah, and I think that's the most likely scenario. Like, I, I don't think one of these guys is going to emerge as, you know, the, the clear leader of the group. But we'll see. It's definitely a situation to – keep an eye on in camp, you know, one of the wide receiver cores, I think I'm going to be monitoring most closely. Um, we have Lazard wide receiver 47 in our half PPR ranking. So, you know, we're significantly behind ADP. Again, I'm with you. I think he's fine. If, you know, if, I don't know if I was interested in Aaron Rodgers more, even I'd probably be taking more Lazard to stack him. but I'm really, I'm not super interested in either guy. Yeah. And I'm not scared of missing out on anything in this passing game. I don't think Alan Lazard's going to turn into wide receiver 18. I don't think he's going to be this year's Darnell Mooney. I think he's just going to be okay at best. Yep, I agree. Um, looking at the rest of the ADP, Aaron Rodgers is down to QB 14. He stayed inside the top 10 even after the Devontae Adams trade for a while, but he's down to QB 14. You know, that's closer to fair. It's still higher than where I want to take him. If I'm looking for a quarterback down there, I still think there's I still think there's a higher ceiling to like Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, me too. And even that is um you know, three spots ahead of where we have Rodgers in our court. Kind of, kind of scary how low we have Rodgers in our quarterback rankings, just considering, you know, he's one of the best all time, but um, yeah, I just, 
bad weapons and, and no more rushing. It's it's tough to get excited about him in fantasy. Yeah, and a team that's not, you know, wasn't throwing the ball like Tom Brady's Bucks yep. were last year. You know, you yep. want to say uh, if Tom Brady can do it at 45, then Aaron Rodgers can do it at 38. Yeah, it's fine. He can do it. But if he's throwing 26 times in a game and doesn't have Devontae Adams, then it's just not going to yep. be anything special. Yep. Running back, Aaron Jones is at RB9. Again, he's ahead of Saquon Barkley. That's the biggest beef for me, especially when I'm drafting single rosters. I'm, I will take... Aaron Jones ahead of Saquon Barkley zero times. If I'm just doing a team that I'm setting the roster every setting the lineup every week. Yeah, me too. Um, as far as Barkley goes, I do think within like two weeks that's going to be flipped and Barkley's going to be going higher than Aaron Jones. So then it'll become more of a decision again. Jones is another guy like Swift. Um, I definitely prefer him if you're getting a full full point per reception. Yeah, AJ Dillon RB twenty four. It's fair. I think we're getting close to. I don't want to say ceiling because, you know, things can happen that boost him from there. But if yeah. he and Aaron Jones stay healthy all year, I think that's pretty close to the ceiling for AJ Dillon. Yeah, well, the the ceiling if Jones misses time is the reason to draft Dillon, especially in these best ball tournaments, um, because, you know, he is, I think, an easy top 10 running back if Jones misses time this season. But I think it's going to be tough for him to to hit RB24 um, if, if Jones is healthy and you know, Dylan, Dylan's got the opposite of Jones where he's, he does have more value in an underdog where it's just half PPR. If you go five rounds without taking a running back, I think AJ Dylan makes for a nice first running back pick. Yeah. I mean, who do you like between Dylan and Pollard? The, I always go back and forth. Cause I think they're the same, the same guy. They're going to have some value without a injury to the starter. And then if the starter goes down they're you know, league winners at, at the prices they're going at. I mean, I guess that if we factor in ADP, I would have to prefer Pollard because he's 15 spots lower in overall ADP. So I can take somebody else in that round where I'm taking AJ Dillon and then take Tony Pollard. Yeah, I don't know why Pollard's doing that much behind Dillon. And to me, like the starter in front of Pollard has a better chance to just sort of hit the wall this season and just kind of let Pollard become become the lead guy. I think the reason that Dylan's that far ahead of Pollard is people are saying there are people out there who say AJ Dylan's just going to outscore Aaron Jones this year. And I think if they're both healthy, that's not the case. You know, maybe we'll see there are crazier things that have happened. Whereas if Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard both stay healthy, I think we all expect Zeke Elliott to continue clearly leading that backfield in touches. And the quads, of course, that, that's worth like a full round in ADP when we get those quad picks. Absolutely. Um, and then Robert Tunyon, I think the last guy worth mentioning here, tight end 17, which is, I guess, closer to fair territory. He had a stretch there where he climbed up to like tight end 14, tight end 13, which is absurd. Even at tight end 17, he's not a spotlight player for me. He's just a guy that I might consider late in, in terms of stacking with, you know, correlating with players that I already have on my roster. Yeah, I'm still mostly out on Tunyon at that ADP. I mean, if he wasn't coming off a, a torn ACL then I, I, I think it'd be fair. Um, but it, it sounds like he's still iffy for week one. Um, and I don't know, he, he obviously had the big 2020 with the 11 touchdowns, but he, even last year in the seven games before he got hurt, he was he was sitting just 28th among tight ends and half PPR points per game. Now, obviously the Devontae Adams departure frees up opportunity for him, but um, you know he's really just had that one season that was fueled by the, the huge touchdown rate. Um, so I don't know if, if we see he's healthy and going to be ready for week one, maybe I'll, I'll start taking some shots on him. But for now, I'm, I'm mostly staying away. 
Yeah, at the moment, he's close to a zero shares player for me. He could hit the season not even as their top pass catching tight end. It's still, I would still yeah. guess that he's the favorite, but there was at least, you know, a quick, like they really like Tyler Davis. Yep. We'll see what he does this year. So that's going to be a situation watching camp. If we start getting more Tyler Davis buzz, you know, maybe he'll be somebody to sneak into the bottom of a best ball roster. Yeah, there's, there's been a strange amount of Tyler Davis buzz this spring. On to the Minnesota Vikings, who dumped coach Mike Zimmer after eight years leading the team. Sub 500 records the past two years certainly helped that. Kevin O'Connell is the new head coach. He was the OC for the Rams the past two years. The OC for Washington the season before that. Spent two previous seasons as Washington's QB's coach. Now, he worked under Sean McVay most recently under Jay Gruden before that. So, he had several years of leading offenses, but it's tough to know how much of those offenses were Kevin O'Connell. I don't know how much that matters heading into this one, but you know, it's something to keep in mind as we start to try to decipher what his offense is going to look like. The OC is Wes Phillips, who has been with Kevin O'Connell on those staffs since Washington moved to the Rams with him, was the tight ends coach, passing game coordinator for last year's Rams, also Wade Phillips' son. So he's probably at least got a good sense of humor. <laughs> Yeah, so my, my thing with the Vikings is there's this, like, narrative that they're going to throw so much more this year than they did last year with Kevin O'Connell in town. Last year's Vikings were, like, middle of the pack in terms of, of passing rate. They were 15th in pass rate. They were 18th in situation neutral pass rate, and they were 11th in total pass attempts. So, you know, I, I see this argument for, you know, these wide receivers, and I, I, I like all these. I like the receivers. I like Kirk Cousins, but people are arguing that they're going to, you know, get a huge boost in pass volume. I just – I don't – see that being the case you know they were 58 and a half percent pass last year i haven't projected at 59 percent this year yeah i have them at 58.6 percent so i i think that's the thing where that's that's why projections are so important you know projections are not everything because they're ultimately just educated guesses but the educated part of that is why they matter because you can look at it and say oh mike zimmer's out he's a defensive guy loves to run the ball kevin o'connell's in from the rams they're gonna throw the ball a lot more but then when you dig into the numbers it's like oh they're probably not going to throw the ball a lot more unless they're trailing by a lot. And they have the second highest win total projection among NFC North teams. They're projected to be an over 500 team. So maybe not a whole lot more. You mentioned the neutral pass rate for the Vikings. It was 18th last year, 27th the year before, 29th the year before that, and 11th in the first season with Kirk Cousins around. The Rams, over the five years that Sean McVay has been there, third, sixth, fourth, 10th, fifth. So some of the pass run rate will depend on those game scripts and whether the Vikings are leading. I do think that we'll get a friendlier passing situation, whether that means a, a bump in volume, we'll see. But I think overall it'll be a friendlier spot and we'll get into what that means for specific players as we go through the positions. Yeah. Again, I buy Minnesota passing a bit more this season, but I, I don't think it's going to be you know, a huge, huge increase. I agree. Quarterback Kirk Cousins heads into his fifth season with the Vikings. The past three years, he ranks fifth among quarterbacks in touchdown rate, fifth in yards per attempt. As I said, the coaching change could mean a pass-friendlier scheme, but neither of us is projecting a big bump in volume. More three wide receiver sets, though, I think we can count on from this new coaching staff. And that should put KJ Osborne on the field more Irv Smith's return from the knee injury that cost him all of last season. That combo should mean better talent around Kirk cousins when they have the offense on the field. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, cousins has his fantasy finishes with the Vikings 13th, 15th, 11th, 11th. I mean, I, I don't think he has a top five ceiling 
but I, I think he's a you know safe bet to give you that borderline top 12 production and does have top five weekly ceiling with those wideouts. Yep. Agreed. So anything else on cousins or should we just run to the backfield backfield cousins is easy. He's just, you know, he's, he's safe, not exciting, but he's not, he's not going to hurt you. That's right. Dalvin cook might hurt you. We'll see. Lost two games to an ankle sprain last year. Week 12 shoulder injury cost him two more games, limited playing time in the final two weeks after a couple injuries in between though, of course he had those two games where he had 27 and 28 carries week 14, week 15. That week 14 game was that Thursday nighter against Pittsburgh where he was coming off injury. And we were all wondering what role he was going to play. And it turned out he was going to play the role of dominant force. 27 carries went over 200 yards rushing in that game overall for the season. Dalvin cook, 40th in football outsiders rushing DVOA. That was the second worst rating of his career in that category. That said, in the 13 games he played, 73.7% of the carries, 10.8% of the targets. So he's kind of an extreme example of what we talked about with David Montgomery, where Dalvin Cook's been a better player efficiency-wise overall than David Montgomery. But you could point to last year and say maybe there's some decline happening in that the same time you also have to acknowledge that when on the field at least under the previous coaching staff he was the dominant number one running back yeah you know whether he's in decline or not only matters if it impacts his volume um and, and i you know so you talked about the football outsiders dvoa um cook also set a career low in pff rushing grade last year a career low in elusive rating um his pff receiving grade was his worst mark since his 2017 rookie season. Um, and cook only turns 27 in August. So, you know, the age seems fine, but I just wonder, you know, with all the injuries he's piled up over his you know NFL career, and even, even going back to his Florida state days, he had some shoulder issues. You just wonder if, you know, he, his body's older than his age because of that. If his role stays the same, like he, he's a top 10 running back easily. I mean, he was 11th and half PPR points per game last year. He was eighth, and expected half PPR points per game. Even even that was deflated a bit by the fact that, you know, he left a few of those games early with those injuries. Um, I guess my question is just with a new coaching staff here, do they ease off Cook a bit? Because Al- Alex Madison is a talented runner behind him, so they could, you know, give Madison a, a few more touches at Cook's expense. That's, I think, worth worth watching this summer. I think it would probably be good for everybody involved if they gave a few more touches to Madison. I think they could do that without hurting Dalvin Cook's fantasy outlook and might ultimately help him by keeping him a little fresher as the year goes on. You know, there's certainly a chance that the collection of injuries over time is wearing on him. There's also the chance that he rebounds from last year and performs better in those efficiency categories. I mentioned DVOA. He did previously have a worse DVOA and he rebounded from that to jump back into the top 10 the following two years. So, you know, we'll see about that. Ultimately, I think the the whether to draft him depends at least as much on the people going around him at mm-hmm. ADP. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes on the injury front. You know, looking at the Draft Sharks injury guide, Dalvin Cook and Miles Sanders lead the way among running backs as most likely to miss time. Cook's projected for 3.6 missed games. So that is certainly an alarming thing, especially when you're talking about somebody that you probably have to take late in round one. That said, we talked about Alexander Madison. He is one of the few running backs that is the clear handcuff. And I mean, you know, we can look at other situations and think we know. This is one of the few spots where we absolutely know who the replacement is for Dalvin Cook. And Jared, I think this might be, with Tony Pollard, the two situations in the entire league where I would strongly consider handcuffing the running back to the starter. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Madison, Pollard, and, and Dylan are, you know, the three most valuable hand, handcuffs. You know, Pollard and Dylan have some standalone value. They're also going way, way higher in drafts than Alexander Madison. I mean, Ma- Madison, we've seen him do it. Um, hit, so the last five games that he played in without Delvin Cook, Madison and half PPR points finished RB3, RB7, RB6, RB5. RB 13 and he gets, he gets massive workloads in those games. Like Minnesota is not afraid to give him 20 carries and, you know, a handful of targets. So um, yeah, I, I, I love Madison, um, especially in these best ball drafts is like a, you know, fourth running back because, you know, he, he can win you a lot of money if you time it right. And, you know, cook, cook misses some time late in the season. Yeah. Madison would be my number one in terms of actually handcuffing to the starter. I know it's something that you don't want to do in general. And I obviously get the argument for it. And I think it's true. That doesn't mean there aren't exceptions. And to me, Madison is the greatest exception because he's going late enough that you're not drafting him over guys that you need to start. You're drafting him there, knowing that if Dalvin Cook goes down, you can put in Dalvin Cook 2.0 and still approximate the production. Dylan's going way too early for me to handcuff to Aaron Jones. I think you're drafting him in a range where you need somebody who can start for you. So I'm taking Dylan only if I don't already have Aaron Jones. Tony Pollard's close to that range. We talked about ADP. I think he's going later enough that you can make a case for it. Still probably like too close to Zeke where I'm putting those two guys together, but I I don't mind taking Dalvin cook in round one and then Madison in round nine. Yeah. I'm, I'm still not going to do that with cook and Madison in these best ball tournaments. Um, I just think to, you know, beat a field of what is it? It's like nearly half a million teams, an underdog. Like if you draft cook in the, in the first round, you need him to, pretty much have a fully healthy season and, you know, be a top three, top five fantasy back, but in, in other formats, you know, in standard 12, 12 team leagues, even in like the FFPC main event where it's only like, you know, what is it? A few thousand teams, right? Like I think even then you can make a case to take cook and Madison. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even in a best ball tournament, like you're not going to find that many teams that have cook and Madison together um, just because people know of not taking the handcuff. So I think it's still a potential differentiator there, but you know, certainly not something to go overweight on. And I don't know if you're going overweight on Dalvin cook to begin with. So we'll move on from that backfield to the pass catchers. You know, we all know who leads this group. Justin Jefferson is wide receiver two right now in ADP and makes sense. there, a top four overall pick. Um, you know, I don't, it, it's almost like you don't even need to give the case for why he's there at this point. He's been nope. terrific through two NFL seasons. Yeah. The most receiving yards by a player through two seasons in NFL history, actually 216 more than anyone else. So easily the most receiving yards, three, 3,016 yards for Jefferson through two seasons. Um, third year, probably still getting better. Um, dominates in, in targets and target share. He was, he was fourth among receivers and targets last year, third in target share. And he's you know obviously an awesome player. He was third in PFF receiving grade among 90 qualifiers last year. So, um, you know, easy top five pick across formats. You know, you can argue him as high as, you know, one if you want, honestly. Like he, he, he might be the safest player in fantasy. I, I think he has less questions than all those other guys up top. I mean, what makes him safer than Cooper Cup? Just the fact that Cup is older and, like, that was the first year he truly had different. Like, I, listen, I think Cup is safe, but. I think you can you can argue that Jefferson's safer. Then, like with Jamar Chase, it's just Chase has a has a T Higgins behind him, um, whereas you know Jefferson does not. I think the slight argument for Jefferson in that range, if we're splitting hairs, is that he definitely got a boost from Adam Thielen going down in Week 13. 24 percent target share before Adam Thielen's Week 13 ankle injury. 35.4 percent from that yep. game on. Now, I think Jeff- Jefferson belongs up there, and he's somebody that I would take 
over Cooper Cup a couple of times if I'm making that decision a bunch just to make sure that I have some Justin Jefferson because I certainly think that his upside is finishing wide receiver one overall this year. You know, I, I made the slight target share argument, but it's his third season. He could just still be growing in that category. We just saw Cooper Cup get up to that level for the first time last year. So, and even if you look at the range of games where there was a fully healthy Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson was still scoring at a wide receiver six rate. And Jefferson has yet to reach 10% touchdown rate in either of the seasons. So his numbers aren't being inflated by like touchdown luck. Yeah. That's because Adam Thielen hogs all the touchdowns in this offense. Um, yeah. I mean, I, like I projected Jefferson at 27% target share this season. So, you know, higher than he was with a healthy Thielen last year, but now 27% still seems, you know, closer to the conservative side to me. Adam Thielen missed three games, parts of two others with that high ankle sprain. His average target depth decreased by two yards, but he has also scored a 15% touchdown rate or higher in three straight seasons. I'm surprised, Jared, on the DS injury guide that he's just a medium risk in injury by our algorithm. It's probably recency bias on my part, though. He had the ankle injury last year. 2020 was healthy. 2019 had hamstring trouble, so... Perhaps that healthy season in between the ankle and the hamstring means that he doesn't have, you know, a truly worrisome history. We can look at it and say, well, these two lower body things within the last three years and he's on the wrong side of 30, you know, maybe, but maybe also the healthy season in between means that we shouldn't overrate those. And there's definitely some, I don't know if it's injury risk or decline risk baked into his ADP, which we can get to, but I mean, through week 12 last year, before Thielen suffered the high ankle sprain, he was eighth in half PPR points per game. Uh, I think like you mentioned 22% target share in the, in those games, which is a nice number. Um, I don't know, maybe one of these years that touchdown rate comes down, but like he's done it consistently um, where, you know, you can definitely project him for an above average uh, tight end rate or touchdown rate. Um, and yeah, and again, if, if Minnesota does throw it a bit more this year, that's not going to hurt Thielen either. So, I mean, there's, I, I do think there's some decline risk. Um, you talked about, you know, the, the PFF receiving grade was at a, uh, lowest mark since 2015 for Thielen last year, like you said, 32 years old in August. But, um, if he was going higher, I might be able to, to back off, but you know, he's, his ADP is so low that I think he's, he's worth taking a shot on, even if you only get, you know, 12, 13 games out of him. For sure. KJ Osborne emerged last year as their third receiver. The Vikings ran 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end, three wideouts on just 47% of their snaps last year, fifth lowest rate in the league. The Rams, meanwhile, were at 86% in that category, leading the league. And of course, the significance to the Rams is that Kevin O'Connell comes from that system to the Vikings. We got 11.5% target share for KJ Osborne last year. The Rams' number three wideout, Van Jefferson, was at 14.7% last year. I think that's a fair range for expectation for KJ Osborne's target um, share. And obviously there's handcuff upside to Osborne if either Jefferson or Adam Thielen goes down. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be someone you can put in, you know, lineup setting leagues if Jefferson and Thielen are healthy this season. But I think Osborne, I, I totally with you. I think he's, you know, going to be an 80% snap rate guy this year. So that, that's going to lead to some, you know, spike weeks for best ball. And then, I mean, we saw it last year, if, if Thielen is out, um, Osborne was 25th and half PPR points per game over the final six weeks of last season without Adam Thielen. So he has that, you know, wide receiver three, I think, type of type of upside if, if Thielen misses more time. 
Yeah, 18% target share from that injury game on uh, late in the year. So like him for best ball because he will put up numbers here and there. Will be tougher to put in lineups, I agree, but that does have that handcuff upside for either of those guys going down. Irv Smith, mentioned earlier, lost all of last season to a meniscus tear. He's back from that, and he returns to find no Tyler Conklin in the way, siphoning targets. Even Chris Herndon, who the team traded for last year, made absolutely no impact, and he's now gone. So there's really not a whole lot behind Irv Smith at tight end for these Vikings. And Conklin saw 87 targets last year. That was 12th among tight ends. So you know, even if Smith can just pick that up, um, he, he's, he, he could give you a tight end one numbers. And I think you, you can argue that Irv Smith has more upside, at least as a pass catcher, you know, sec- second round pick a few years ago, um, st- still just 24 in August. I mean, he got drafted super young out of Alabama and, showed some promise in 2020 had a nice close to that season it was his second season um he was top eight among tight ends and fantasy points over the final six games of the season and even even over the course of the entire season he was 12th among 34 qualifying tight ends in pff receiving grade that year again as you know a second year player as a young second year player so um he's still like obviously more potential than proven production um but i I definitely see the reasons to, to be excited about irv smith yeah, I can understand the reasons to be excited about Irv Smith, but let's lo- use him to transition into the ADP review for this final team. And the problem that I have now is that he's up to tight end 11 in underdog yeah. ADP. And to me, that's just a little bit too excited versus what's going on around him. Because, you know, good player. I don't know what he looks like. I, I guess I shouldn't say good player, good talent. We'll see what he looks like as a player and what his role looks like, both in an offense that's changing and in the first time that he will be there without, yeah. you know, an even split in playing time and targets at the position. Yeah. Tight end 11 is definitely rich. Um, if you look at the actual ADPs though, that, you know, there's a pretty big gap between Zach Ertz at tight end 10 and then Irv Smith at tight end 11. And then there's like five or six other tight ends going within two rounds of Irv Smith. So it's, it's kind of a bunched group. I think we were talking before the show that, you know, this range of tight end, it's going to probably be, you know, vacillating throughout the summer based on, you know, who's getting the buzz, who makes a good play in preseason or whatever. Um, so I do want some Irv Smith because I, you know, definitely see a path to him being a top 12 tight end this season, but I, but I do hope that, that ADP sinks uh, at some point in August. Cause that's, you know, he's, I'm not gonna say he's priced at a ceiling, but I think he's, he's priced pretty close to it because again, you know, if, Jefferson's healthy and if, especially if Thielen's healthy, like there's not a path for Irv Smith to, you know, finish top five among tight ends and targets. Yeah. I think the best way to draft Irv Smith right now is with Kirk Cousins, who's a QB 15 in ADP. And you can take one of those wide receivers with Kirk Cousins as well. So I think the best way to draft Kirk Cousins is after you have already taken a Vikings wideout, And then you add Irv Smith to that in a best ball stack. Cause there will be touchdowns going around. Kirk Cousins is not going to be running them in. Um, he is, Uh, QB 15, as I mentioned, he's QB 13 on FFPC. Jared mentioned the fantasy finishes earlier. Three of his four Viking seasons have found him inside the top 11, but nothing higher than QB 9. I'll have that article on spike weeks and scoring reliability later this week on DraftSharks.com. Backfield, Dalvin Cook, RB5. He is 9.1 overall. He's just ahead of Najee Harris and Joe Mixon, just behind Derrick Henry. Really None of those guys are players that I'm comfy with totally fading. I think any of them could slip to the top of round two. I'm not taking one clearly ahead of the other four. I think it's just a range where I would mix the exposures and also factor in the wideouts that are in the same range, primarily Stefan Diggs for me. Yeah, I have forced myself to get some Dalvin Cook because I don't want to be out on him. Like he he could 
still finish, you know, as a top five running back, especially in points per game this season. But um, he's definitely not my top target, even my top, you know, two or three target in, in the back half of, of the first round. I think there's definitely reasons to be to be worried about Delvin Cook. Yeah. Alexander Madison, RB40 is going in the same range on FFPC. Like I mentioned, he and Tony Pollard are kind of the two cuffs that I'll consider attaching to the starter. And I think Madison's pretty easily the most attractive because he offers those ADP savings versus Pollard and because Cook is going earlier than Zeke Elliott is. Yep. Madison's probably my favorite RB4 target. Um, it's, it's fun. He's going right next to Rashad White. And like, I'm excited about Rashad White. But you think about it, and it's like, you know, the upside to Rashad White is to, you know, be what Madison is, is that high in handcuff. I guess you could argue that, you know, talked about the Fournette weight issues, conditioning issues. Like, you know, maybe there's a better chance that White overtakes Fournette than there is Madison overtakes Cook. But I mean, they're, they're very similar players. Madison's just proven. Well, White's also a great example of not assuming that we know too much about the handcuff situation because we all are guessing that Rashad White is the primary running back if Leonard Fournette goes down. But they still have Keyshawn Vaughn around. They re-signed Giovanni Bernard. So we don't know that Rashad White would take over. We do know that Alexander Madison would take over. So I, yep. it's pretty easily Madison over White and the other guys in that range for just that factor. Yep, good point. Wide receiver Justin Jefferson is number two. Like I said, at the position, fourth overall in underdog. I think he belongs in that range. Death taxes and Adam Thielen going too late. Wide receiver 32. He's after Chris Godwin, after Amon Ross St. Brown, around behind Juju Smith-Schuster, two plus rounds behind Gabe Davis, Allen Robinson, and the Broncos pair. Uh, we should be embarrassed, folks. I'm not embarrassed because I'm getting plenty of Adam Thielen. I'm, I'm enjoying the discount. I mean, yeah, there, there's risks, but... Again, he was what would I say? Wide receiver eight in half PPR points per game last season. Like I, I, I think he's going to be a top twenty wide receiver in points per game this year. And if you get twelve weeks of top twenty production at wide receiver thirty two, you're, you're you're doing well. Yeah, I'm not embarrassed either because I'm not <laughs> letting Adam Thielen stick around to there. I'm just benefiting from it. So it's nice to see KJ Osborne is at wide receiver sixty six within a round ahead of him. Just to give some context, Jarvis Landry, Jamison Williams, Jahan Dotson. Jamison Crowder, Joshua Palmer, Devontae Parker within a round behind Osborne, Jalen Tolbert, Van Jefferson, Robbie Anderson, DJ Chark. I think Osborne fits into that range. Somebody that I will get some of, not the guy that I'm taking over everybody else in that range. Yeah, it's a fair price. Um, really, in that range in general, I'm taking guys that complete stacks for me. So if I have Kirk Cousins, I, you know, I'll take KJ Osborne over those other guys you mentioned. If not, I'm probably looking elsewhere. Yeah, I can uh, get on board with that as well. Robbie Anderson's probably been the guy that I've taken most often, especially because he's the most likely guy in that range to slip because nobody likes him at this point. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, it's a range to get some wide receivers and there are plenty of guys in there that I, I don't want to be totally out on. Um, yeah. Irv Smith, who mentioned tight end 11, a little bit rich for him. So that's going to do it for this fifth episode of the divisional preview series of the podcast. You can find all the previous four episodes on DraftSharks.com. Check out the, the slick new page that they built for our podcast on DraftSharks.com because you can see, you know, whether you like it or not, you can see our faces doing the video version of it now. You can subscribe on Apple. You can uh, follow us on Spotify direct from there. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can, of course, still get the podcast in wherever you prefer to get your podcast from. And we appreciate you listening to it or watching us wherever you are doing so. But be aware of that new page. You might want to check it out. And of course, if you're at DraftSharks.com, you can become a DS Insider, get access to the rankings we're talking about. Check, a slick new page there, Jared, too. I talked about the podcast page, but the rankings page. 
way different from what it used to be. Lots more information and really just kind of cool to look at. Oh, it's really pretty. You've got the baseline projections, the floor, the ceiling, the full player, right? A bunch of uh, new stats you can sort of dig into. You could you could spend a lot of time on those rankings pages. And you should spend a lot of time on those rankings pages because we're getting further into draft season. Your home leagues are going to be starting up soon. The big tournaments are running now. So become a DS Insider. We want to help you win some money this year. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaff saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 